Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join your hosts, Phil Dark and Dr. Karen Hutchison. Hey guys, welcome to the Think Orphan podcast. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show for you. Phil, who's on today? Well, today we have Jason Kovacs. He's a, he's a really, really good friend of mine. It's a guy I've gotten to know over the years uh, doing orphan care. And I, if you don't know him, folks out there, you really want to get to know him. If you ever go to CAFO Summit or Together for Adoption, and hopefully they'll be having some more of those in the future. Um, Jason is an adoptive dad. He's co-founder of Together for Adoption with Dan Kruver. He's an author. He's counselor with Austin Stone Counseling Center. He is a speaker as well. You may have heard him out there speaking. He's also, as he will remind us in the interview, he is a Canadian. And so if you hear some oots or a boot or things like that during the interview, that's why. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of a fun game if you've ever, you know, if you aren't Canadian and you're talking to Canadians, you see how many of those little oos they throw out. It's, it, you know, my wife's from Minnesota. And so I, I get that every so often. So anyway, that is something that is purely optional for you out there. But uh, let me know if you do it. So uh, with that, we have a great interview with Jason. He's got a lot of things for us to learn from. And uh, get, you, get your notebooks out, get your pen, and uh, I, I really encourage you to do that. Also, as we ask often, and we hope that you're doing it, please, please engage this conversation with us. Please, you know, be sending us emails, sending us comments on Facebook or, or on our blogs. Uh, those, that's the way we really know what you're thinking, how we know what, uh, what you really want to be hearing, what, who you want to be hearing from. And we've had some of those recommendations as well. And some of the people that have been on the show are from listeners like you just suggesting people to us. So also be rating uh, the podcast and reviewing it on iTunes. And if you want to help us financially, you can do that as well at ProvidenceWorld.com. Providence is what is fueling this podcast currently. And we, uh, we would love it if you would be a financial partner with us as well. So with all of that, here is Jason Kovacs. Well, Jason, it is so good to have you here today. I'm very excited for this interview we're about to have. Excited to be here. Well, Jason, you know, you have uh, a lot of experience, a lot of things that we could talk about today. We're going to hit on a few of them. Um, I look forward to, again, people hearing your story, the expertise, the the different um, areas that you've been able to work over the last few years. But before we get going, I know that a lot of people out there really don't know who you are. So I'd really um, just enjoy hearing the story again, but also to introduce yourself um, briefly to those folks out there uh, who are listening in around the world. Sure. Uh, well, currently I live in Austin, Texas. I uh, serve as a pastor at a church here called the Austin Stone Community Church. And uh, But not originally from here. I'm actually uh, originally from Canada. I still hold my Canadian citizenship. So give a shout out to all my, uh, all my people in the homeland, however many of those folks are listening. Uh, so yeah, born in Canada, uh, raised in Canada throughout, through, uh, college and then moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota, where I met my wife who is, uh, who is from Texas as part of our story of ending up here in Texas. And, uh, and also where, uh, where my adoption story began, uh, it was at the church I was at in Minneapolis where I was serving that I met a lot of adoptive families. It was a church that had a culture of adoption and uh, it was when I, I would say I was first introduced to 
just even a, even just an adoptive person uh, and an, an adoptive family. So um, my wife and I got married. We have five kids. Four of our kids are adopted. Uh, we have one bio and uh, we lived in Minneapolis for three years and then uh, uh, North Carolina for five years. Mm-hmm. Served in uh, church there and an uh, uh, adoption ministry there. And then we've been in Austin now for seven years. Yeah, what was it that, you know, you said you were introduced to adoption, but what really was it that kind of encouraged or kind of led you to the adoption journey with your wife? I would say it was, it was one meeting all these families that had adopted. And as I got to know them, you know, and, and hear their stories, they, they didn't adopt because uh, they were infertile. They, you know, I mean, some of them did, but, but the story that I, that I heard over and over and over again was, uh, a story of God's heart for, uh, the vulnerable and for, for the orphan and for these children and, uh, and these families because of the gospel said, you know, we, we, as the church need to, need to step in and, uh, uh, and care for these kids. And, uh, and so that, yeah, I heard those stories and uh, the church was also a church that had a, a, like I said, a culture of adoption. And what I mean by that is they, they preached on it. They, it was part of their, uh, their larger, um, passion for uh, life, for life. Um, um, they were, they were, they were, they were a very, very, very passionate pro-life church. Uh, but adoption was part of that. And, uh, and so through that season, I, I think it just got into my, uh, into my bones. And, uh, I think I, I at that point I, I was single for most of my time there until I met my wife. But, uh, even when I was single, I felt like, man, there, it's not a question of if I'll adopt. It's, it's, uh, it's when I get married and, and have a wife, uh, that, that will adopt for sure. Hmm. Yeah. And I know too, that, that, that really that culture of adoption, that adoption story, the adoption, and also just the adoption of God of us, um, led you and Dan Kruver to start a, a movement called Together for Adoption. Can you tell that story a little bit, how you and Dan um, founded that together, and really what you hoped the impact it would have on the church uh, was at the time? Yeah, Dan and I met uh, probably, now it's almost 10 years ago. Uh, I was living in North Carolina in Charlotte, and uh, he had uh, just moved to uh, Greenville, South Carolina. And uh, I had gotten to know Dan through his blog. And he was a fellow adoptive dad uh, uh, tra- with, uh, with, with black children. We were both uh, trans- had transracial families, and uh, he had a passion for the gospel. So I, I had known him a little bit through, through that online. And, and when I noticed he had moved to Greenville, I was in Charlotte. Uh, and I, I noticed that at the same time, we both started working for uh, adoption ministries. I had just started working with the ABBA fund and Dan was working at that time for an adoption agency. And so we, I think I emailed him or he emailed me and said, man, we, we need to get together and just, uh, you know, just connect. And so we met halfway in Gaffney, South Carolina. Um, if anybody knows where Gaffney is, it's the, the home of the giant peach. And, uh, Dan and I had, had lunch at Cracker Barrel. And I think it was that first lunch that we, we got together and shared our stories, shared our hearts. And out of that conversation sort of gave, we came out of that with the sense that, 
there's something we, we need, there's something that needs to happen in this movement if it's going to be sustained. And what we both felt was there was a lot of stirring happening within people in the church, uh, towards adoption, foster care, orphan care. Uh, but we also, we, we shared this concern that, that it, that this could become a fad. And, and we both felt like if it's not rooted in the gospel, if the gospel is not our motivation, if it's not what sustains us, then, then this isn't going to last. And we both knew from our own stories and our own, our own parenting and our own children that, that we desperately needed the gospel every day. Mm-hmm. So I think in that, in that lunch and in that first conversation, we, we, we just threw out the idea, what if we did a conference where we really focused on the gospel and our adoption in Christ and what that means for uh, caring for children. And, and that was how it was born. And, and I think our vision was if we can, uh, if, if we can lift up the gospel, if we can lift up Jesus and, and, uh, and his heart, uh, for us and, and, uh, and what the gospel means, the gospel of adoption means, then, then, then maybe there's some hope that this movement will sustain and, uh, and last 50 years, a hundred years and not just, you know, 10. Right. What food have you seen from, from T4A, um, really in your own life and, uh, and others? Well, in, in my own life, uh, a, a lot, uh, I, sometimes I, I, I've, I've thought, you know, maybe God you know, birthed T4A, you know, not so much for, for the folks that have, uh, come to our conferences, but, but mostly for me and Dan, um, or at least myself, cause I feel like it's been this, you know, for almost 10 years now, this, uh, constant reminder of, uh, of what God has done in Christ, uh, in adopting us hmm. and, and the complexity of, of the biblical, uh, the concept of adoption that, that it's, it's, uh, it, it's massive and way, way bigger, uh, than we tend to think of it. And so, so I feel like I'm constantly learning, uh, over these, over the years that we've done T4A, I've, I've constantly been encouraged, uh, reminded, challenged, convicted. And, uh, and so I, I feel like I, I've benefited, I've been the greatest beneficiary of it. Uh, and then we've heard from a lot of pastors. We've heard from a lot of leaders, from a lot of individuals who've come to the conferences and benefited from our, um, our resources on the website and the book that, uh, that, the, that a theological understanding and foundation for uh, of adoption and for adoption and for you know orphan care, family reunification, preservation, everything that's involved has really helped them. Has helped them in the very ways that we had uh, we had prayed it would. That it, it's helped them with a foundation for with with uh, you know with with a sustaining grace in the midst of it, uh, especially when it gets really hard, which it which it does. You know, because Jesus said, we're going to do this. We're, we're visiting orphans in their affliction. Right. Right. And one of the things, too, that came out of that uh, with you and Dan working on it um, was the book Reclaiming Adoption. You'd mentioned the book uh, in the last answer. Um, you actually wrote a chapter in there uh, on adoption and missional living. Um, and actually, just just so happens that I know you you were able to be with him up in Minneapolis as well. But you you kind of were the lead act for uh, opening act for John Piper's chapter, if I'm if I remember correctly in the book. So you know that's that's always a nice you know thing that you got going for you. But uh, there's there's some 
there's some great stuff in your chapter on really kind of what you just talked about earlier in your, your answers about the, the church and the, and the role of the church and really having to be part of the DNA and part of the missional culture of the church. Um, I'm just going to read a couple quotes here, and then I want you to share with us just really what this looks like, what, the, what this, this DNA looks like in, in a real way in, in our church today. One of the quotes was, the natural result, result of a church or individual gripped by the saving grace of God in the gospel is a passion for taking that gospel to the world. Mission is both declaring the words and works of Jesus and doing in the world what he has commanded us to do. And then you go on to say, do not simply adopt orphan care as one ministry among many in the church. Integrate orphan care into the church's missional culture. Then the last one is, if the practice of true religion necessarily involves caring for orphans in their affliction, then it seems to me that orphan care must be an integral part of what a church is and does missional, no matter the size of the church. Those are similar quotes, but they all say a little bit of different things. But really, what does that look like? What does that look like to have a, a missional culture? Yeah, I think at, at the at foundational level, it, it means having God's heart. I think that's, that's one way that you can say it simply. Uh, you know, that as a church, we care about what God cares about. Uh, and so, you know, where do, where do we find, uh, what God cares about? We find it in his word. And, and so all throughout the word of God, you see God's heart for, uh, his people. You see God's heart for the vulnerable, uh, the weak, the sojourner, the refugee, the orphan, the widow, uh, the fatherless. I mean, it's it just the poor. You, you cannot read the Bible for very very long. You can't, you, you don't have to spend much, much time in the Bible before you, you, uh, are encounter God's heart, uh, for, for the vulnerable. And, and it's a, it's a, a special, uh, care that he has. And so, so I think at a foundational level, you, you see just the, in the nature of God that, that he is a God who, uh, who the Bible says is a father to the fatherless. And so, uh, as Christians, if we're, if we're made in the image of God in the very nature of God, and we're to reflect that nature, then, then at a foundational level, we're going to have that love. Uh, I, I think by the spirit, it's the only way we can have that, but, but just reflecting God's love and God's heart, uh, you know, as, as believers, it, it's gonna, it's gonna be for those that he, he cares for. Yeah. in in what would you say to a church that's, that says, yes, I, I absolutely, you know, there's, there's a pastor out there listening. There's some folks that are, you know, orphan care advocates listening to this saying, yeah, we need to do this. We, we want to integrate orphan care into the church's missional culture. What would you say would be a good first, first couple steps or just ways to get moving in that right direction to a pastor and then also to the advocate maybe who wants to be able to encourage the pastor to do that? I, I would say start with, with with the nature of God, with the with who God is. I mean, it's it seems like yeah, yeah, yeah. We know that, like we assume that. We like let's get to the practical stuff. But what I've seen again and again in my own life, and what we've done through Together for Adoption, and we've heard testimonies from pastors and leaders that have done this. That, that when we start with who God is, that uh, you, I mean. You, you get God's heart mm-hmm. in that and, and you just see that God is a God who is doing this work right. and then we get to participate in that work. Uh, so, if, uh, so I would say start with telling your congregation, if you're a pastor, preach on 
the nature of God as, as a missional God, as a God who doesn't just keep his love to himself. You know, he existed as, as a, uh, as the Trinity for all eternity, uh, as you know, the, the ultimate small group, you know, the father, son, and Holy, Holy spirit, uh, but didn't keep that love to himself. He shared that love and, and his love is an ex- ever expanding, eternally expanding love. And so as we preach that, as we preach who God is and, and preach the gospel of his, of him sharing his love in, 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 in Christ coming, uh, I think people, people will be changed by that and transformed by that. And then it becomes a lot easier to then begin to ask the question, well, what does this mean for you? And what does this mean for us as a church? Uh, and then you're not just adding orphan care, adoption, foster care as another program mm-hmm. in the life of the church. We, you know, we have so many programs. We don't need another program. Uh, I, 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 you know, we, and I think that people get weary of that. Um, and people will sign up for that, but, but I think, over time they get weary. But if, if we preach the gospel, if we preach the nature of God, we have a lot more, uh, hope to, to make this a a long lasting ministry. Yeah, that's, that's so true. That is so true. And you know, it's what keeps me going too. Just knowing that this is, this is God's heart. Like you said, like you said, um, but you also said, something that, that really stuck out to me. And it said, biblically adoption and orphan care are not primarily something we do because we are infertile or want to meet a great need. They are tangible demonstrations and pictures of the gospel, which is, which is consistent what you just talked about of God's adoption of us put on display for the world to see and give glory to God. And then you said a passion for adoption grown into the heart and mission of God will translate into a thousand different actions. I love that. I love that last little part there. Can you just share a couple of some of the lesser known actions? Um, You know, we know about adoption and foster care and the big ones, right? Mm -hmm. But you go into a church and you talk about that and you lose about 99% of the church, you know, who says, well, that's not for me. But really when, when you do have that, when you do preach it, when you do have the pastor really, you know, having that as the DNA of this is who God is, this is who we are as, as Christ followers, um, can you just share some of those lesser known actions that result from a passion for adoption in our world? Yeah, I, I think, you know, of, uh, I mean, there's a lot, there's obviously there's yeah. thousands, um, right. <laughs> but, uh, I, I think of uh, the folks that are mentoring, you know, children in foster care, uh, and, or, you know, in, in our cities, uh, the folks that are now entering into the space of, uh, of thinking, how can we prevent uh, children from entering into the foster care system, mm-hmm. and uh, and seeing that some of the some of the ways that that we can care for moms and care for uh, care for children uh, in the home, uh, among the poor in our cities and, and around the world, that that those are that those are connected to uh, orphan care and adoption. In a way, uh, I, I think, you know, families that that support adopted and foster families just by providing meals, by by providing financially, by uh, by providing encouragement and a listening ear, uh, a patient, uh, uh, persistent uh, commitment to them for the long for the long haul. Uh, you know, it may not feel like much, but it, but it is a way to really uh, help families to, to, to stay the course. And, and it's so needed. 
Yeah. And I, I know in the past episodes, we've had other folks talking about these things too. I, you know, I've, I've said it a couple of times on this. I always, I love when I was talking with Rick Morton about that and similar question. And then he said, you know, I knew a guy who just mowed lawns and he says, that's how I do foster yeah. care. I mow the lawns of those who do foster care. And yeah. it was such a great picture of this is an older man who, you know, that's what he can do. And I think that when your heart is there, you seek out things. Yeah. Know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when I wrote that, I, I uh, behind that is is this idea that if, if we lift up Jesus and we lift up the nature of God and the heart of God and people begin to be transformed into the very, you know, image of God that he's made us to 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 be, um, you know, as we're as we behold him, like Second Corinthians 3, 18 says, and are transformed from you know, one degree of glory to the next. That part of that is that we have his heart. And, uh, and so, so the outflow of that is a thousand new ways to, to serve orphans and, and foster kids ways that, that you and I can't even imagine. Cause it's, it's, it's the guy that, that by the spirit of God gets the idea that I should mow lawns. It's, it's the mom who decides to, you know, paint pictures and sell them to raise money. You know, it's, it's the ideas that you just, you hear of and you go, that's such an amazing idea. Mm. I never would have thought of that. Mm. Maybe I should do that. And, and I think my encouragement is yeah, maybe you, yeah, I mean, be encouraged by ideas and, and you can take, uh, you know, take the example of other folks and, and, and do what they do, but, but also be open to what the spirit of God wants to tell you to do. Mm. Cause it might be something nobody has ever thought right. about. And it might be the thing that just, I, I, that, that, that thing that God wants you to do is going to be the thing that's going to make the greatest difference. Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that. It, rewind that. If you didn't catch that last part, rewind it, listen again, because that was just really, really good. It's so good. Because, yeah, it may be something that no one has ever thought of before. And that's yeah. the beauty of this is it's God is a God of creativity. I and mean, that's what he does. He creates. And he created us to create and to cultivate his good work. And so. Yeah. So with that and creation, you know, there's a lot of people out there who have talked about, talked to me and said, you know, we're, our church is really, we're passionate about church planting, but, you know, so orphan care really isn't on our radar. Um, you talk about in the book that kind of crushed that, that uh, quote in, from these pastors in, in, in a little bit of uh, writing that you did, to talk really about the connection between church planting and, and how we can alleviate the orphan crisis. Can you just flesh that out a little bit? Yeah, I, I think, you know, oftentimes when we uh, when we do church planting, I, I think there's there's a lot of wisdom in uh, focusing uh, and and, and uh, being being simply aimed toward a, uh, you know, the goal of, of uh, preaching the gospel and, um, you know, being faithful to 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 God and, and uh, his mission in your city and where you're planting. And so, you know, there, there is some value and wisdom in not being distracted by a thousand things, Mm -hmm. you know, creating programs and all that. And so, so I get that. And I think that's really important. Uh, at the same time, I think, uh, and I can't help but imagine that, uh, that church planting and churches have an incredible opportunity to, to, from the beginning, uh, plant a church with a DNA and a culture that, uh, that, that is everything we've just been talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, so often churches, uh, you know, when you're planting a church, you're, you're, you're planting 
a cultural outpost, a, a, a kingdom outpost in, in your city. You know, the, the culture of your church ought to reflect the culture of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's, you know, if you start talking about it like that, then, you know, the culture of the kingdom is a, is a culture that involves the nature of God, the heart of God that cares for the vulnerable. And so you look at a city like Austin or, you know, any city around the country and you just look at how many orphans and or vulnerable children, foster children are, are, are in our city. And there's hundreds, you know, in our city, there's 400 kids waiting for adoption. And, uh, and so, you know, what an opportunity the church has, even a church plant has to say, we care deeply, uh, for our city, uh, and for the, the most vulnerable. And so we're, we're going to build that into our very DNA from the very beginning. Uh, I think it saves them a lot of work down the road from having to add that, add that in. Right. Absolutely. And I think too, especially when you talk about internationally, you talk about other places around the world where maybe and in the U S I mean, it's not, we're, we're no, uh, we're no different really when you talk about identity and just knowing identity. Right. And that could prevent so yeah. many orphans. I think if, if men and women both alike really knew their identity in Christ. Um, yeah. And yeah. So, um, well, I want to shift gears a little bit, uh, with, with that, um, and I, I do encourage everyone out there before we do shift gears to pick up that book. It's called Reclaiming Adoption. And it's got some great authors. It's got Jason and Dan and Scotty Smith and John Piper and a couple others um, that it just are writing snippets, probably 15, 20 page chapters on, on these issues. And it's, it's a fantastic book. You can pick it up on Amazon. We'll have the link to it in the show notes. Um, but I want to just talk a little bit. You mentioned earlier about the idea or not the idea, but the uh, you used to work for ABBA Fund in, in really funding adoptions to help others out there make it possible to adopt when financial issues may have prevented them otherwise. Um, can you just, I want you to talk about a couple things. First of all, why is adoption so expensive in some instances and not expensive in other instances? I think some people out there listening probably are wondering that they've heard all kinds of different stories about the costs. Um, mm-hmm. but then also, um, should everyone, should anyone out there ever rule out adoption simply because of the high costs? Can you just uh, address those couple questions? Yeah, I would I would say yeah, no one should uh, rule out adoption because of the the high cost. Uh, we've seen you know hundreds and hundreds of families uh, adopt and uh, God provide the finances. Uh, th- there are there are so many folks out there and organizations like the Abba Fund and others that that exist to to help make adoption possible. Um, so yeah, I, I think. You know, and the cost of adoption is, uh, you know, I, I remember years ago talking with a friend who who ran an adoption agency, and I just asked him, you know, like, why does what? Tell me what it costs. Right. Tell me what it costs. And, uh, and you know, and every every agency is different based on their size and and all that. And this was an agency that that was really ministry minded, or and and they they uh, they were they ran lean. They really, uh, I think that did a great, did a great job. And, uh, and what they told me was just to, to provide for the staff. He said, you got a lot of, a lot of factors playing into the cost of adoption. You've got the staff, you've got social workers, you've got the home study, you've got, um, you've got all those fees. You've got some fees that the agency doesn't have any control over, especially if it's an international adoption. So you add all those up and, and, and they, at that time, this is probably, 
eight, nine years ago and said, you know, we can barely, you know, function as an agency if we don't charge, uh, or not, uh, you know, an adoption really, really practically costs about $20,000, um, and they, and they were charging less than that. So they were, they were relying on fundraising and a banquet. So I think they were charging at that time, like 13,000. Uh, but it was, you know, roughly about 20,000 at that time. And, and I think, you know, the costs and all those, all those things that go into it, uh, you know, have, have added up over the years and gone up over the years as well. Uh, but it's always helpful to ask. I think you can ask that question. Agencies should, should be forthright about that. Um, and then there's a lot of agencies out there that are, that are great and legitimate and, and the costs are, are legitimate. Yeah. And I think too, the, the, one of the things that people forget about is, um, there are ways to adopt where, you know, if you do it through the foster to adopt, there's, there's often emotional costs on those adoptions. Um, but the financial side of things is definitely different. And so there's a whole lot there that we don't necessarily have time to get into, but I just wanted you to be able to speak to that, given your experience with ABBA fund and really seeing, you know, minor miracles happen a lot of times, you know, um, whether it's through grants, whether it's through loans, whether it's through the tax credit from the government that still continues today. Um, so folks out there, if you're considering it, I, I strongly encourage as Jason did to really just seek out these different options. We'll, sh- we'll have some of those on the show notes too. Um, links to ABBA Fund, uh, Show Hope, some other organizations that are doing great work in that area. Yeah. So that brings us to really what you're doing today. Um, you're, you're a counselor at Austin Stone Counseling Center. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about the, the Austin, uh, Austin Stone Counseling Center? I know John Bergeron, who was on um, earlier in the, in the podcast uh, in season two. Um, also works with you there, but can you just tell us a little bit about the center and then really what are some of the most common issues you see adoptive and foster families facing? Yeah, we, so yeah, I serve as the the pastor of of care and counseling at the church here. And and part of that, when I first came here seven years ago was, uh, we saw the, a need in our city for uh, a counseling center that, uh, shared our values and, um, theological convictions. So about six years ago, we, we started uh, the Austin Stone Counseling Center that, that is a professional counseling center, but, but connected to the church. Uh, we serve our church. We serve churches in the city here and, uh, and serve anybody really that, that, uh, that wants, to, want, want, wants care and counseling. Uh, so, yeah, currently we have about 25 counselors on our staff. Um, and, uh, and so we're, we're, we're able to, to, to see a lot of folks and, uh, and, and what we say is we, we, what we do in the counseling center is supplemental to the primary place of care, which is the local church, uh, and, and the community. Yeah. Uh, so it's a joy to get to partner with churches and, and, uh, uh, walk alongside folks that need, you know, more, more specialized care, um, for a season. Uh, so, so yeah, with that, we see a lot of adoptive and foster families, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, the common issues that we see with, with adoptive and foster families is, uh, is a lot of the, the, the struggle to, uh, with attachment and, uh, and a lot of the, the brokenness that comes with, uh, with adopting or fostering children that have come out of really difficult circumstances, uh, dealing with a lot of, uh, the, the effects of trauma, 
so they're, 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 they're now in a, in a home and, uh, families are just trying to, you know, faithfully love, nourish and, uh, and provide, uh, a, a safe, loving place for these kids to heal. And, and it's messy. It's really messy. So, uh, we see a lot of folks that just need encouragement, need help, need support. Uh, and, and so, uh, yeah, and that, that's one of the greatest needs in the in the orphan care movement right now. I would say. Yeah, and I know it's obviously case by case, but just generally speaking, you know, you know, we know that there's a lot of adoptive foster families listening in. Might be some birth mothers who are struggling through some of these issues that that we know birth mothers struggle through. I mean, really, mm-hmm. others who love those people. Um, how would you encourage them? generally, obviously, to address kind of the issues that you just mentioned and others in their home and communities today? Yeah, I, I think it's so hard, but I, I encourage one, the church to step up and wrap their arms around birth moms and families and kids. Uh, because I think one of the things we see is it's so hard to do that alone. It's just, it's not, I mean, it's hard enough as a, as a parent just in general, but parenting, uh, a child who, who, and, and, and parenting when you've dealt with any kind of trauma, it just makes it that so much more difficult. So I, I think, you know, uh, reaching out and, you know, my hope is that, that people don't have to reach out as much like these families, adoptive foster families and birth moms don't have to reach out as much as, as they're offered help, uh, by the church. Mm. Um, I think oftentimes they have to, they, they're put in a position where they have to reach out and, uh, they have to kind of figure out who their support is. And, uh, and so I try to encourage them with that and, uh, and say, you know, keep persevering in that cause you can't do it alone. And, and where I can help hopefully is, to, to say to the church, come on, come on, we've got, we've got to, we've got to raise up more folks to, to serve these people. We've got to raise up the families that, that will just mow, mow the lawns and, right. and come around and support. We've got to raise up more counselors and pastors who understand these issues. And, uh, cause you need a team of people. Oftentimes it can't just be one person, can't just be a counselor. It can't just be one friend. It's, it's oftentimes it's gotta be a team of people. Right. So if you're in the place to help, help. If you're placed yeah. in the place to be helped, allow yourself to be helped too. Yeah. Um, I think is really important. Sounds like that's what you're talking about there. Yeah. Um, definitely encourage folks out there to do that. Um, and if your church isn't already doing things like that, step up and, and get your church to be doing things like that. Um, one of the other issues you've talked about in the past is the impact of the shame of sexual sin and really perpetuating the cycle of abandonment. Can you explain what you mean by that and, and really how we can work together to have a more gospel centered approach to sexual sin? Yeah, I, I think that that's, that that's a whole area that we, we are prone to not talk much about because it's obviously, you know, a sin that, that carries so much shame with it. Uh, and so we, 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 we tend to kind of do the, the minimal, if we do, if we do talk about it, we talk about it you know, uh, in a minimal sort of way. And so I, I think, uh, I think one talking about it and just being honest about it. I mean, the Bible deals with sexual sin 
through all throughout, uh, because I, I think God knows that it's so prevalent and it's, it's such a, uh, uh such a, a sin that, that brings with it so much shame. And, uh, and so I think, you know, one speaking to it helps uh, deal with the shame. Uh, so a lot of that shame comes because it's just, it's not just, just the sin, but it's, it's the fact that, oh my goodness, I might be the only one dealing with this. And so, um, so you feel completely alone in it. And, and that just adds to, you know, if, if this is an adoptive or foster child or, you know, uh, you know, a, a, someone that's experienced, uh, the effects of sexual sin or, you know, uh, through abuse or, or they've, you know, uh, been the one, uh, enacting and, and, and that, that, you know, that just adds to that, that they don't have a space to, to, to work through that and to confess it and to talk about it. Uh, so, so that's what I, that's what I mean by that. Uh, I see it just, you know, like the, the sin, sin grows in the dark. And, uh, so we need to bring it into the light. And, uh, and so that's again, where the church needs to, I think, step up and, and do, do, do a faithful job of, of, uh, of, of speaking the gospel into this area. Right. And, and if we don't, I think, you know, what you're talking about there, then really these folks will repeat the sins of their father, so to speak. And that's where the cycle of abandonment kind of comes in, as you were talking about. Is that right? Yeah. 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 That's another, I mean, there's multiple layers to it. Sure. And you know, that that's, uh, we'd probably do a whole podcast sure. on, on sexual, uh, sin, brokenness and the orphan and, and, uh, in this whole area. But yeah, you know, you, you, you've got children that, have, uh, have reaped the, 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 the fruit of sexual sin and, uh, and they're now in foster care. And, uh, and, you know, if we don't deal with it, you know, a lot of these children are, are then finding themselves in cycles where, where they're just, that, that, that they're just following, like you said, the, the sins of their fathers and, and mothers. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's one of the ways I think we break that cycle for sure. And another thing that you've been trained in, a lot of people out there listening may have either heard of or been trained in, is the TBRI. Um, Dr. Karen Purvis and, and the TCU Institute, um, before she passed away, obviously, but that she developed this TBRI. And, and why is this approach to working with orphan and vulnerable children so effective, in your opinion? Well, I think it... it addresses what is so core to us and that is, uh, attachment and relationship and connection. Uh, you know, we're all made to connect and be in, in, uh, in relationship one with, with God, uh, and, and with, uh, with each other. And so obviously that that was broken by sin in the fall. And so now, now we, we, we're dis, we're a disconnected people disconnected from God, disconnected from one another, disconnected from our world. And, uh, and so I, I think TBR, what TBRI does is uh, it stands for trust-based relational, uh, intervention. Uh, and what the, that's just sort of a fancy term for, uh, through, through, uh, trusting relationships, uh, we, uh, we are healed mm-hmm. and we are reconnected and, uh, you know, we are, uh, we are remade, uh, into, uh, the people that God made us to be. And so, 
So I think it just resonates so deeply with something that is at the heart of the gospel that, you know, cause that's exactly what God does. You know, you read the Psalms and God says, I am, uh, I am that safe place. I'm a refuge. Uh, come to me, run to me, find refuge in me. Uh, you are made for uh, deep, deep connection to me. Uh, and through Christ that, that you can experience that again, uh, through your redemption. And so, uh, so yeah, it speaks to that and, and it just, it fleshes that out as, as adoptive and foster families that, that we, we need to, and are called to do that in the lives of these kids who, who, who have experienced incredible neglect and abuse and trauma and, uh, abandonment and, and, you know, need to learn, relearn to trust, relearn to connect. Yeah, definitely. And that, uh, that's something that particularly for, you know, uh, I know for me, I can speak for myself. I had great connection, great attachment with my parents, you know, and they love me very, very well. So, you know, in instances where I need to empathize with someone else who hasn't, I think that's exactly kind of what you're talking about there to help develop that trust. Um, well on that, let's move into the last couple questions that we ask everyone on this show and, uh, you're no exception. So, um, what have you read, watched, or listened to uh, that has most impacted your thinking on how we can love and care for orphaned and vulnerable children? Yeah, the, the first thing that comes to my mind in, in recent years has been uh, the stories of adoptees. Hmm. I think uh, that that has been something that has really had a huge impact on me. Um, there's a growing number of adoptees that are speaking out. Uh, we, we've got one, Emily, on, on our team at Together for Adoption. We've had a number of adoptees speaking at our conferences. And uh, I think that, you know, to hear their perspective, I, I think we, we can't uh, we, we can't ignore them. Uh, we need to we need to have a posture of humility and, and, and want to be one of of uh, learners with them. And so that, that's the first that come first you know, thing that comes to mind. Um, another one that, that has really had an impact on me is, uh, is the work of Kurt Thompson, uh, his book, Anatomy of the Soul. Uh, and he has a newer book in the last year or two called, uh, The Soul of Shame. And so he does some great work on attachment, uh, and, uh, and, and he's done some workshops, uh, over the last few years at, uh, at the Christian Alliance for Orphan Summit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, I, I would actually, man, go go download those talks that he's done at the at the summit. Uh, they, they're some of the the most uh, helpful uh, talks that I've heard. Hmm. Um, others, would, I, I really love the work of Elizabeth Bartholet. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a professor at Harvard on the issue of international adoption. That's sort of going into another realm there, but uh, but she's been helpful. Uh, and then on the other side, I think of uh, the work of uh, of the Rileys in Uganda, their family there that have, have really promoted uh, the work of uh, family preservation and orphan reunification. I think we've got to do a, uh, we've got to listen to those folks too. Right. They're kind of on the other side of this, on the other end of the spectrum from from uh, Bartholet. Uh, and then the last one I thought of was uh, Elizabeth Stiffy at Saddleback, uh, the work that they're doing in Rwanda and, uh, and her, her experience over the years, she, she's someone that, that I've, every time I've listened to her, I've, I've, I've come away thinking about things in a deeper way. 
It's a lot of great stuff. We'll have all those things. I'll put uh, we'll put several things from each of those people on the uh, on the show notes for this, and you can definitely got a lot of got probably a few weeks of. Um, listening and reading there from from jason so thanks for that um we love giving resources to folks out there and i i too i did love the uh a couple years ago you had emily and and i believe tara vanderwood who also was on this show um a few episodes ago and um one other that i'm I'm blanking on who that was oh it was the the woman who has the the podcast i'm forgetting her name but um she also had a a movie but uh you probably know who i'm talking about Angela Tucker. Angela Tucker. That's exactly yeah. who it was. Um, and uh, it was it was a great a great uh, way to learn. Like you said, just a posture of humility to hear and listen and understand, and, and it helped a ton. So I definitely encourage folks out there to to do that, to listen to adoptees, to listen to folks who are who have gone through this and are going through it, to learn more. Mm-hmm. Um, and on that note, uh, is there one person who has most impacted your thinking on how we can best love orphaned and vulnerable children? Yeah, I, I, I'd have to say Dan Kruver. Uh, you know, the, the, the friendship we've had for the last decade and uh, his writing. I mean, I, I've had the privilege of, of working uh, so closely with him. Uh, but but there's probably not a not a, a month that goes by, uh, maybe even more that more regular than that, 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 uh, he encourages me and challenges me, uh, not, not only my thinking, I think he's probably had the most profound, uh, impact on my, on the way I think about, uh, the gospel and the doctrine of adoption. Uh, I, th- I think, you know, if, if you're, if you want to understand the doctrine of adoption, start with Dan Kruver, mm-hmm. start with reclaiming adoption and, uh, and he'll introduce you to a lot of other guys that, that have written out, uh, stuff out there. Um, and I think that, that he, he's had the greatest impact there, but, but also just on my heart and, uh, uh, and, and practice of, of caring for, uh, the orphan and, and the vulnerable uh, and through our conversations, through, uh, through our conferences uh, and our friendship. Yeah. He, he too has impacted my life in great ways as well. Um, so thank you, Jason. Thank you, Dan, for, uh, for all you're doing out there too. Um, but thank you for, for this, uh, conversation. I know that I learned a ton as I always do when I, when I talk with you and spend some time with you. Um, and I'm just glad that I was uh, able to introduce you to some folks out there who may not have, have heard of you or heard your wisdom. So thanks for sharing that, Jason. Well, thanks for having me, Phil. Thanks again, Jason, for sharing your wisdom with us. I, I just absolutely love hearing from so many different people about things and hearing common themes that, uh, that you know, just keep coming up over and over with people. Um, but they're really from different perspectives. And and I'd just be curious to hear what, what you thought about that, you know, as a, as a fellow uh, counselor and just uh, someone who's really able to help people so often. Uh, Karen, what'd you, what'd you think of Jason? Yeah, um, definitely am tracking with Jason. I met Jason, man, I guess almost 10 years ago as well through Together for Adoption and definitely clicked with him off the bat as a fellow adoptive parent and a fellow clinician. And um, I'm sure you've heard me say before, Phil, that I get really, really excited when pastors and elders also have a heart for orphan care and have a heart for uh, mobilizing the entire church and not just potential 
foster or adoptive parents. And so I'm tracking with him on many and multiple levels. Um, I know Jason um, from a clinical perspective as well. I actually um, grew up in Texas, if you didn't know that, and the listeners may not know that. And so I have a lot of ties um, in Texas still. And so I actually refer to the Austin Stone Counseling Center quite often. Um, It's a great resource and the work that they're doing there is incredibly relevant. It's um, trauma-informed. It's a great mixture from a clinical perspective of a biblical worldview combined with um, clinical, I would say, accuracy and efficacy, if that Mm -hmm. makes any sense. Mm Yeah, you know, we had John Bergeron on earlier too. And, you know, that guy, uh, if you haven't heard that um, episode, I, I strongly recommend you go back and do that. I, I'm, I believe it was season two, um, but uh, don't, don't uh, you know, hold me to that. It's, it's somewhere back in the, in the archives of this, and we'll have that on the, on the show notes as well. So, um, but, but what else, you know, just from any particular thing that he said that stood out to you that really you think our audience would learn from that if, you know, you thought maybe, you know, maybe they missed it or, or it's worth hearing twice? I don't think we can hear too often and too much. It should not ever become redundant or repetitive. I think it needs to be constantly repeated over and over again is how when we are a part of a church body, especially a local church body, when we have families that are growing their families through foster care or adoption of really encouraging and empowering the church to rise up and help those families. Um, I have the privilege of speaking to many churches, not just here in Kentucky, but really all over the nation related to orphan care and trauma-informed ministries. And one of the things that I say over and over again, and this actually might go a little bit against um, some of Jason's previous work related to the ABBA Fund, but I say that actually churches need to be involved, yes, at the beginning of a family's choice to adopt during the fundraising and figuring out how this is going to happen financially, and they need to be um, involved when the family is actually going through the process, through prayer and through support. But I think the most crucial and essential way that churches can rise up and actually should rise up is actually when that child or children arrive home. Post-adoption care is so incredibly relevant. It's so important. I think he gave an example, um, I think it was in this interview, of just someone who mowed lawns. Um, and I, you heard me even use that word just, but that is not a just statement. Um, when families are bringing children children into their home, whether it is month one or month 181, Mm -hmm. um, someone taking care of those everyday tasks and really loving on a family and surrounding them, not only through prayer, but through service um, can be incredibly helpful for families who've grown through foster care or adoption. Yeah, definitely. And, and one thing that I keep telling churches over and over and really just having conversations about is the importance of having the love and the care for orphan and vulnerable children as part of the DNA of your church. Not just something that's a side ministry, not just something that's talked about on Orphan Sunday or another sermon once a year, or a couple times a year, but really something that is so ingrained so that these things that you're talking about there, that Jason was talking about, that we've heard so often on this show, aren't add-ons, aren't things that are you have to even ask. It's just something that is a known thing that is needed. It's just, you know, same same as if someone's sick and you're saying, hey, we need to get meals out there. But there are just 
respite, just times of break. And I think this is, this is true for any parent, but especially those that have foster adoption in, in there. It's just, it's exhausting in so many different ways, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. And I, I really love to hear, you know, this battle cry being called out more and more and more, but it's something that I unfortunately don't see as much as I'd like to, um, in the churches, um, out there. So these are all things that I, I absolutely love hearing, but I want to, I really am so wanting to see the action just following it up out there. Yeah, total agreement. You know, I think Jason does a good job of, of balancing it too. And when he talks about having a missional culture within the church, that it isn't just about acts of service, but it's it's pastors, it's elders who are willing to preach again, like you said, not just on Orphan Sunday or one time a year, but are willing to kind of weave the adoption um, culture and the theology of adoption throughout their sermons, throughout their teaching and, and help families to understand this isn't just um, a fad. This isn't just something that, you know, quote unquote, good or nice people do that. Actually, it's a part of how God creates his family. And it's a beautiful representation of the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think that's a good place to transition now to our uh, recommendations. And today I know, Karen, you have a couple recommendations that, that dovetail very well with this uh, interview we just had. So why don't you share that with our audience? Yeah, thanks. So um, you guys heard Jason talk about TBRI, trust-based relational intervention. That is one of the most popular types of training and interventions um, for families who've grown through foster care and adoption. Obviously, the one and only Dr. Karen Purvis and Dr. David Cross um, have created this intervention through the Texas Christian University. Child Development Center. And so one of the resources that I want to share with you guys, it's actually several different books. The author is Cindy Lee. And I think if I am correct, I think she's um, based out of Oklahoma. But these books are children's books, and they are intended for parents to use, to read with their children, and they are written from a TBRI perspective. And so it's a really great resource for families to start to apply some of the concepts that we learn and that are taught in either the training that you've attended through Empowered to Connect or even the professional training that's provided through TBRI or even just simply parents who have read The Connected Child, which hopefully if you have grown your family through foster care or adoption, you have read The Connected Child. (laughs) So these books are going to be practical applications written um, at a developmentally appropriate level for children that really touch on those um, main caveats of TBRI, which again are those connecting principles, those empowering principles, and those correcting principles. So again, the author is Cindy Lee. I think there's five, maybe six books. One of the titles is called The Redo Rue. Another title is The Elephant with Small Ears. Another title is It's tough to be gentle. And again, these are all books written from a TBRI uh, trauma-informed perspective that is intended for parents to read to children. And then when your children are able to, for them to be able to read themselves. Such great resources. Thanks. Thank you so much for that, Karen. And out there, if if you uh, haven't already been introduced to those, I I strongly recommend, especially if you are foster adoptive parents, to be able to go out and grab those and uh, engage with them with your family. So with that, I just... uh, I say this so often and I I really mean it. I I hope and pray that you take everything that you're learning from this show, from everything else that you're reading about orphan and vulnerable children, really take it all and and understand more and more deeply how you can love orphaned and vulnerable children more and more and better and better each and every day. 
Thanks a lot. Have a great week. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan. Think Orphan.